Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mayor Tom Henry podcast. Thank you for tuning in to us today. This is episode number 46, recorded on Monday, August the 3rd, 2020, from Citizen Square in downtown Fort Wayne. Today, I've invited Sergeant Sophia Rosales-Scatina and Captain Mitch McKinney of the Fort Wayne Police Department to come on the program and talk about the current state of our police department and how our officers are working every day to serve you, our residents. Sophia and Mitch, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, Sophia and Mitch, let's just get right to the questions that uh, I'm sure everyone in our community wants to know. Uh, what's it like being an officer of color in today's world? Uh, Sophia, let's go with you first. Well, I guess I don't really view myself. I mean, I know I have um, ethnicity in my background, a, a Mexican-American, um, and I don't really let it drive me to do anything. Um, I always look out for everyone, regardless of who they are, what color they are. So for me, it's just something of a background uh, information of who I am, but I really uh, value my culture, traditions. Um, my family is, uh, you know, I come, my father was a migrant worker, um, came to Fort Wayne from San Antonio, Texas. So um, it was one of those things where you, we grew up, my, my family was entrenched in American traditions as well. We still keep our cultural traditions. So I think for me, it's not something that I view myself as. I know people view me that way, but I just consider myself a part of the human race and I kind of <laughs> carry my actions along that manner. So you're from San Antonio? I am from Fort Wayne. My parents are from Texas. My dad's from San Antonio. My mom's from Del Rio, Texas. I just say that because San Antonio is one of my favorites. Cities. It's beautiful. We went there every summer. Uh, it's deathly hot in the summer. Yeah, right? yes, it's a, a beautiful, bit. beautiful city. <laughs> well, Mitch, what about you? You know, sometimes it's hard, Mayor, when you go back to your neighborhood. And sometimes, like I tell uh, folks, you're never dark enough. You know, some people will come up and, and because you're wearing a uniform, they don't see you as an African-American. Mm -hmm. And... Again, when we get our runs on the radio, when we get our calls for service, we don't know who we're going to face. So we answer the calls for service, we answer them openly, and I'm open for dialogue. And you know I served as a president of our local fraternal order of police for 10 years, mm -hmm. and I made sure in that time frame that I served, especially Southeast Fort Wayne, with our Cops for Kids program and our Forgotten Families program. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the hard part sometimes is when you walk up and, and people don't want to engage because they feel that now that's an African-American mm -hmm. that you're wearing a uniform, mm -hmm. you're not the same African-American you were when mm -hmm. you lived in the neighborhood mm -hmm. before. What an observation. It's, it's really interesting to, to hear both of your perspectives on what it's like uh, as police officers in, in today's environment. Um, uh, you don't always hear uh, the depth of your, of your answers. A uh, lot of times uh, they're quite uh, more superficial than, than what, you've, uh, what you've shared. So congratulations to both of you. That's, um, that's really uh, deep, it really is. So, Sophia, uh, outside of uh, uh, your your role as a police officer. Uh, you're also a mother with two adopted children. Uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that you, you come from a Mexican-American background. Uh, are, are You adopted two children. Are both of them Mexican-Americans? 
They are not. They're white, oh, <laughs> both okay. of them. My daughter's blonde hair, green-eyed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she looks just like me. Uh, <laughs> and my son, um, he's brown eyes, brown hair. Um, he could probably pass a little bit more, maybe, <laughs> mine. Um, but it's funny because people were putting up pictures of how their children look like them on Facebook. I posted a picture of myself, and some of my friends didn't know my daughter was adopted. And I said, she looks just like me. And then everyone's like, oh, no, she looks probably resembles her dad. I'm like, yeah, if you knew my husband, he doesn't resemble, she doesn't resemble him either. So, um, yeah. Have you had any issues with, with well, you, you know, it, your children are uh, 14 and 15. Yes. Uh, do they get any uh, uh, any pushback at all for having a mother, even though they're adopted, a mother who is Mexican American in, in today's in today's world? Um, I I don't think so. Um, I think most of their friends, my my kids are really inclusive. Their set of friends are mm -hmm. wide range, mm -hmm. so Hispanic, Black, White, um, Gay. Yeah, that's good um, to know. You know, so it's. We really were pretty open in my family about stuff. So um, I think my daughter's always trying to get a tan. So she always puts her arm against mine and gets mad. Uh, I'm like, honey, you're never going to be as dark as me. <laughs> um, but, you know, she, I think they both are comfortable with it. Um, I know I joke when we went on vacation, and this was early on. Uh, just after our adoption, I always joke with them. I'm like, you're going to have to call me mom eventually because people are going to think I'm your nanny or something. Um, and <laughs> so so they laughed. And then, you know, because it it's one of those things after they adopt, you know, it's hard for them to adjust sure. to calling someone sure. mom. Sure. Um, and it had been so long, my daughter had said, since she had been able to call someone mom. Um, but, you know, she was really happy to. And we've settled into that kind uh, of thing great. where I'm mom now. And oh, it's, they always referred to me as mom, but, you know, calling me mom mm -hmm. to my face was one of the things they were still kind of hesitant with. You know, it's interesting, Sophia, she said a, a couple seconds ago that a lot of their friends are, are black, uh, they're Hispanic, uh, that nationality, color doesn't make any, doesn't make any difference to them as, as young teenagers. Uh, I have a couple of grandchildren and they're going through the same thing. They'll introduce me to their friends, uh, and some of them are Hispanic, some are black. In fact, one of them is gay. Uh, but they never bring that up in the conversation. Uh, they never bring up their color, never bring up uh, their nationality. Uh, it's just their friend. Uh, and that's, that's uh, so refreshing to hear in today's environment because I grew up, you know, uh, unfortunately in a world that was... Uh, a lot more discriminatory uh, than this next generation appears to be, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I've always marveled at the fact they never have mentioned the color of their friends. Right. Uh, and that's, again, that's, that's nice to hear. Uh, Mitch, um, the Fort Police Department has been conducting procedural justice and legitimacy training since 2013. Uh, First of all, what, what is that, and uh, who attends these training sessions? Well, procedural justice and legitimacy came to us from President Obama's 21st century policing, and when um, law enforcement and government leaders from across the country came together to address a social injustice, this was a program that came out. And when we had the high homicide rate in 2012-2013, Department of Justice said, 
you guys might want to go to Chicago and learn something from them. And so uh, myself and uh, Lieutenant Enyard at the time went up there and we sat through the same group that was there from the Bay Area, Salinas, California, Oakland, California. Uh, they were actually there going through their processes for their, for their cities. And we were able to sit in and gather all the information and bring it back here. And we've been using that since 2013 with citizens and basic recruit classes. So twofold mayor, so that the recruit classes have people that they know when they come out of the academy. They've already met citizens here, so they could call somebody if they work in the area and really start networking. And it's important that we do the uh, historical and generational effects of policing so that these young folks understand how a majority of people much older than them went through policing in civil rights eras and that they have to be very cognizant mm -hmm. of people that they're coming to police because you don't know the experiences they've had. Uh, you don't know what their aspects of policing are. And uh, we invite people to the training. Some like police, some don't. And I let, the, I let Chief Reed pick those folks coming through and they come in and when they leave the training, they may still have a grudge against police, if you will, but they have an understanding that if we communicate and work together, our city can be better. It's quite frankly, uh, that, that came out of the Obama administration? It did. it did. The Obama administration actually came up with several uh, programs. They also, uh, he also came up with the Cities United program. Well, I, I guess the, it was the uh, U.S. Conference of Mayors in conjunction with the yes. White House that came up with the uh, uh, Cities United and uh, My Brother's Keeper yes, program. And, they, so. and then here in Fort Wayne, we've combined the two together. Uh, but that also brings, I think, more and more of our citizens uh, uh, into an environment where they work closely with the police department, and there's, a, there's an increased sensitivity to yes, both. Sir. So that's, that's great. Uh, Sophia, uh, I'm going to talk to you for a second about the Eight Can't Wait program. We, we've heard that a lot uh, from citizens, not only here but elsewhere. We've read about it a lot in social media. We've read about it a lot in the regular uh, newspaper uh, offerings. Uh, can you explain what the Eight Can't Wait uh, program is? And, and uh, uh, you know, again, what are we talking about as far as Eight Can't Wait procedures? So um, when this all this started, we started getting feedback on this 8 Can't Wait program from a lot of the protesters, and I knew they were all driven to the 8 Can't Wait website uh, where you can, there's a drop-down box, you can find your city on that drop box, and you can see what your city's doing in reference to the 8 Can't Wait. So as soon as I found that out, that you could do that, I went to that um, website and I pulled down Fort Wayne, and it said we did three of the eight. Uh, as I was looking through all eight, things, I was like, this is this is not correct. Uh, Fort Wayne does a majority. The eighth one um, is probably almost impossible to do, uh, but seven of the eight we had either in policy rules and regs or actively doing those kinds of things. So I want to put that out there that Fort Wayne is ahead of the curve on this. We've been doing the, the eight things that they've suggested that uh, police departments do. Um, and, you know, to go through those eight, uh, the one was the ban the chokehold uh, ban shooting at moving vehicles, require um, a warning shot, 
before shooting, require comprehensive reporting, uh, there's a duty to intervene, require de-escalation, require use of force continuum, and then exhaust all options before shooting. Uh, that's the one that, that we have issue with because, you know, if someone's coming at me with a gun, I'm not going to try and talk to them, you know, if they're tr trying to actively kill me. So I think, you know, I don't think anyone really would, would think that that's a good idea. Um, so that's the one we really have issue with not being able to have implemented before this eight can't we came out. So I want to assure people that this department here is doing this. And the A Can't Wait started on the West Coast. Um, it's uh, from a group uh, in California. So I, I think, and no one contacted our department before posting. We only did three. So I'm not quite sure where they got the three. I was going to ask, who, who printed that? I don't know. We're in trying to find contact information, but everything is you have to tweet at them or something like that. So we're trying to maybe fix the, that three. Mm -hmm. Because um, I know a lot of people are going to that website and looking and, and getting becoming shocked when they say we only do three. But if they would contact us, um, they would know that we, we do majority of those things. And we will put this up on our website. We're trying to um, make it a readable form for people. But we have all our policies, and we'll put those up on the web, our website at fwpd.org. And they can go to the community relations section, and we'll have that up by the end of the week. I want to talk to you again in a few minutes about the uh, how citizens sometimes react when they're put when they're put uh, in some sessions out at the uh, Public Safety Academy involving split-seconds decisions on the use of, of weapons. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I mentioned uh, Fort Wayne United earlier. Uh, Mitch, you're involved in, a, in, a, uh, in sessions called live sessions. Uh, can you explain what those are? You know, it's been great uh, working with Eric Headley, and we find several police officers to sit with our teen and young adult uh, male blacks to say, hey, it's time to do some listening and do some answering to some hard questions. And to sit there with them and hear their feelings and where they are, it's a good opportunity for we, we as officers to meet them where they are and understand the situations that they've been through. And the discussions have been very fruitful, the ones that I've been to. And again, you walk out of that room with a different understanding mm -hmm. for each other. And the one thing that I got out of them was that I knew I was viewed as a person, not as a uniform. Uh -huh. And that was, a, that was a great thing to sit. And, uh, you know, I carry that over to all of the events that I do, not only with IRIC, but also with Joe Jordan at the Boys and Girls Club. It was probably a maturation process, I would suspect, uh, in the sense that I'm sure they weren't as open when you first started this program, at the, as they are now, there was a trust factor I'm yes. sure they'd had to uh, develop. Yeah, very much so. And you can tell when you walk in the room, you knew who was going to be talking <laughs> because you can tell there was, there was that just that safety circle force field mm -hmm. around them. And they didn't want eye contact because if you get eye contact, then I might just happen to talk to you. Right. And so, you know, that, that human behavior interaction. But, you know, when we were done, it was... It was a type of feeling that you know they hoped that I was the next police officer they saw uh -huh. you know you can tell that they were hoping that there was like a cloning effect mm -hmm. every time you see them and bring someone new in front of people mm -hmm. they're like okay now there's two people that mm -hmm. I can trust mm -hmm. and it's hard to break that barrier I don't want them to lose that feeling of you know we're here for you mm -hmm. we can help you when you need help but I also want them to understand that they've been heard and appreciated and validated I, I, I don't I don't doubt the fact if familiarity begins to exist with uh, a citizen and a police officer, not only uh, is there a relationship that gets built, 
but also an increased respect for the position yes. that you have. Very much so. That's uh, uh, you know that's tremendous uh, as far as um, uh, an evolution of, of the feelings towards police officers. You know, when I was young, uh, it was there, and then obviously, probably beginning in the late '60s, I would guess there, there's been somewhat of a deterioration of the respect for police officers. I think it's come to a head now, but it's nice to hear that we're working on bringing that back. Yes, sir. Uh, because that, that affects our recruitment of police officers, too. We, uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to recruit young men and women who want to make uh, uh, policing their, their career. Um, when they see what's going on in, in today's environment, uh, it's, as I say, it's increasingly, increasingly difficult. Mitch, you're also involved in a program called the Blue Bucket Brigade, uh, and I know that's hit the media. Uh, for those that are not familiar with that program, what, what is the Blue Bucket Brigade? So the Blue Bucket Brigade uh, came to the Fort Wayne Police Department first from uh, two employees of the Boys and Girls Club who knew that they had to get the kids at the club together with officers. And so they brought it to me at the Fraternal Order of Police, and I'm like, you know what, we're going to make this work. And so we came up with the concept to connect our most trusted servants with our most vulnerable youth. That's our motto. <laughs> And this is our fourth year doing that, and it's been absolutely fabulous. You know, we spent the first part of this, we'd have be with the kids, we'd go out to the Walmarts, we'd collect and meet, and the officers could not engage with the public. We would stand with the kids, but the kids had to explain to the public, why are you standing here with a police officer? <laughs> and, and they got to the point, at first they would just read little cards, but then it was like, well, you know, this is my, my guy, we play basketball together, and you know, he comes down and read books, and, and she comes through and we do our dance classes, you know? And so you could see the relationships form. And today, you know, we are running tunes and trucks out of the Boys and Girls Club because of COVID. You can't stand outside and right. have that interaction, but we can all social distance there and have music, have food trucks that are distanced back, and people can still see that we have a relationship um, with the club, which led to a youth-led dialogue that we've done. We just ended that uh, for the summer, but the kids ask all the questions of the law enforcement officer. And some of them are pretty tough uh, when you come through, but the officer, we don't generate those questions, they do. And they want to know how we feel about being officers, and they let us know what's happening in their neighborhoods, and it allows them to get a new understanding. And hopefully we are doing recruitment efforts now, though we may not be around to see the fruits of that labor, you know, but I believe that we're doing the right things for kids right now. Wow. Uh you know, the more and more I hear about the various programs, initiatives that the police department is doing, the more I realize that uh, a real honest attempt is being made to reach out. It's unfortunate that uh, a lot of our public, I, I'm sure, is not aware of everything that the police department is doing, so that's tremendous uh, to hear that. Uh, but, Sophia, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the scenario-based training that takes place at the police academy. I know you're one of the instructors, uh, and I'm a little familiar with the uh, scenario-based training, but you could, could you explain that to our listeners? Sure. So, a couple years ago, we were having some issues with uh, report writing in our officers. So, we took a look at the report writing um, classes that we were instructing on in the academy, and I was not involved at that point in those classes, but 
Um, we were tasked, myself and Officer Lisa Woods, who's now in the Community Relations Division as well, uh, we were tasked with taking over the report writing program. And I come from a place where I do better if someone lets me do something. Um, I'm not really a learner of show, you know, having someone show me how to do something and then I do it. I, I need to get in there and actually do it, give me the directions while I'm doing it. So we decided we were going to do more of a scenario-based report writing class. So that gives that would encompass uh, de-escalation techniques, sites, observations that officers are making, having to actually engage with someone instead of reading some static report on the screen and hear write a report from this. They could actually ask questions. If they don't ask the right questions, they're not going to have the information for that report and they will get dinged on that report. Right. So it's really throwing them in the deep end of the pool and saying, <laughs> hey, make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw really good results the first time we did it. We um, improved the scenarios this time around, really had a lot more people involved in those, and it's working really well. The reports are better, the officers are learning more what it's like to engage with people, how to bring people down just by talking to them. We talk about de-escalation techniques when we do this, so they're getting this all throughout the academy because their report writing goes from like week two to week 20. Uh, and, and they just learn how to do this and they learn by doing. So there we have different officers and we have officers with ethnic backgrounds. We have officers, you know, who are mentally ill in some of these scenarios and they have to learn to deal with these. And they write reports, do the, everything they need to do to, um, so when they get on the street, they're not, you know, gun shy about mm-hmm. talking to people. Because right. that's what we found before. Sure. If you don't let them engage in those kinds of practices, then they become kind of like the back seat and they're just standing there waiting for people to engage they're out there doing, they have no problem day one engaging with the public, no, that's, and that's what we want to see. Which that reminds me of another program that uh, uh, we offer through the Public Safety Academy. I think to some extent both of you have been involved in this, and that's where we actually take citizens and put them in positions that a police officer might be put in, just so that the citizen can. Um, uh, walk in the shoes of a police officer, if you will. Uh, and I know some of those uh, activities, especially ones where confrontation is is happening, uh, how the response of the citizens, uh, sometimes it, it's almost comical, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's very serious. Uh, and I've been very impressed with the, the insight that a lot of the citizens have afterwards. Uh, you're familiar with the program I'm talking about, Correct, and, I, yes. and I can't remember the, the name of it. Uh, We've enveloped that into our procedural justice program, so that's the second half of the procedural justice program is the scenario-based where the citizens become the officers and the officers become the citizens. citizens. So, uh, But I've witnessed a few of those. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've never been asked to, to, to be a police officer, but uh, I have witnessed uh, some of our, our citizens, uh, again, be put in a position where they have to think uh, very quickly on whether or not to use a weapon. And uh, again, some some of them I think respond well, but some of it uh, again almost becomes almost becomes comical. Uh, but I think that's that's a great way for the citizens to again be put into a position where uh, they have a little bit of understanding what a police officer goes through in a, in a position that's. Uh, very sensitive at the time, so I really admire that, and I and I, I can't um, say enough about how that I I think could increase uh, a lot of uh, again a 
a citizen's uh, realization how difficult a police officer's job is. Um, okay, now I want to talk to you about body cameras. Uh, there's, uh, again, mixed feelings, uh, both from the citizenry as well as police officers. I, I don't think our police department is uh, adverse to body cameras. I think we were going to originally roll them into um, our, our department on a, on a little bit slower basis than the city council is asking us to do. But um, how do you two feel about, about body cameras? We've been using them for quite some time now. And when it comes to the body cameras, the same with in-car cameras, you know, it's not that we don't want them, it's a budgetary issue. So, you know, you know, we have to have them if that's what we need them. You put them there. And the thing people have to realize is that things happen rapidly sometimes. And there are sometimes when you're put through situations that you have to act. Mm -hmm. And it's always easy to sit back and be a keyboard warrior and tell us how <laughs> we're not doing things right. Again, like you just said before, when you've never stood in those shoes, we have no problem being recorded. One of the major things we say as instructors, first day to recruits, you're always under a microscope mm -hmm. in this job. So don't be afraid of any camera. Just know that everybody carries a camera now, and you should present yourself to, to, to the public mm -hmm. as best you can all the time. Just act in a professional manner. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of our officers are weary of wearing the body camera. Uh, I think it'll probably be welcome. I think yeah, I think the citizens will mm -hmm. find that our officers here in Fort Wayne are doing what they should be doing and always have been. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've sat here and done several community events where we've asked people to give us the officer's name who wronged mm -hmm. you, give us the date, and we will look up the, the case. No one's presented those that information to us to date. So, it, you know, we talk to a lot of people, and, you know, people have to, if, if there's a wrong and they feel they've been wrong, there's a channel for that, and they have to make those complaints. If they don't make the complaint, then for us, everything's running s smoothly. smoothly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we have some cameras now, probably, I'm guessing maybe 100 cameras, maybe less. They're primarily for the special units, aren't they? Correct. Some special units and then others have them on the street as well. But uh, uh, I know City Council apparently has, has passed a, a resolution asking us to, to begin to budget for considerably more, which is fine. But I, again, a lot of times the, the, the expense is not really in the camera itself. It's taking care of all of the films and, and being able to... Uh, uh, to put all those in proper storage and figure out the, who gets access to them and so on. So that's really where the time and expense comes. It's not the piece of equipment itself. Uh, and I know uh, several cities are talking about what to do if, a, if an officer does not turn on their camera. Uh, and it, it, those types of policies and, and procedures and protocols have to be put in place as well. Yes. So it's not just buying a camera and putting it on a uniform. There's a lot more to it than that. And now, again, I, I compliment the council uh, uh, in their attempt to try to expedite uh, the use of body cameras. Historically, they've been a, a little uh, more conservative in allowing us the money necessary. So that's why we had a a plan put together that was going to spread over several years. Uh, so they want to expedite it. That's, that's fine with me. Right. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, with that, 
uh, we are out of time for today. So, uh, Sophia, Mitch, uh, I really appreciate you two coming on the program. Again, I want to thank both of you for protecting and serving our a great city every day. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. It is another great day in the city of Fort Wayne, so let's keep the momentum going. This is Mayor Tom Henry, and we'll see you again soon.